Welcome back to season three of the Product Marketing Experts podcast. Today, I have a really, really exciting episode and a really special guest. I'm so excited to welcome Alex Lobert, the Product Marketing Lead for Measurement at the social media company, Facebook. Facebook is obviously an incredible company, and I don't need to talk about how amazing Facebook truly is, but I'm really excited to hear from Alex about all he does and everything Facebook is doing to create amazing communities. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete, compete to win with Clue. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Jeff. Great to be here. Thank you so much. I am really, really excited to have you. So as we dive in, I think everyone's path into product marketing is a little bit different, right? Some people jump in through maybe customer support or marketing or product management even, or you know whatever the case may be. So curious if you can just talk a little bit about what your path into product marketing was and more specifically, what that looked like to get into measurement specifically. That's not a title that I've personally at least heard done. So, so just curious about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel like measurement obviously is, you know, certainly ubiquitous probably across a lot of companies and platforms, but in ad tech or like advertising, measurement is very important. Like how does, how do things work? But yeah, I'll kind of walk through my journey. So yeah, well, I started my career as a data scientist, which is kind of maybe a, a funny place to begin, but did that for a few years, but really realized I probably wasn't the best data scientist and that was like not my calling. So like, don't ask me to write SQL scripts right now. That's not going to be particularly effective. But so I did that for a while, but then I actually got into product. So originally I worked for, for Nielsen, as many people probably know, they kind of actually a measurement company and market research company. And I did product there. So working on our, what we call targeting or precision marketing, like how do you send better ads online using all the cool data that we had. And so I did product for a while there. And actually I did product at another company, uh, similar space, all about how do you use data to have more effective advertising and to measure how well that advertising works. So I did product for a long time. And I think the companies where I was at product was a mix of Okay, there's the engineering, like the build and the operations actually of the product, but there was a heavy, you all call like product marketing aspect too, which was how do we package it? How do we sell it? How do we bring it to market? Oftentimes I feel like if bigger companies, it's spread out, or I guess like me, all call, not, not bigger companies, but more recently it's more spread out. I feel like some of these responsibilities, but oftentimes as a product manager, I was like the chief salesperson also. And so you end up also being like the product marketer and all that along the way. So I did that for a while. I did a brief stint in consulting and it's kind of more of the sales side of things, which was really cool in that you kind of see one, the other side of like, how are you actually going to clients every day and getting them to sign on the dotted line or how do you drive better partnerships? So I did that for a while and then finally landed at Facebook. And then actually that was my first product marketing title. So I took a product marketing manager role at Facebook. I'm actually starting our ad targeting team. And then I... More recently, so a little over a year and a half ago, took this role leading part of our product marketing team for measurement. 
So that's, that's the journey, a little bit of product, a little bit of consulting, some bad data science, and then landed in the, landed in the product marketing world. Well, that is certainly an amazing journey, a, a unique one that I haven't heard yet. I will certainly not ask you to write any SQL scripts, but quite frankly, I'm not quite sure I could do it either. So <laughs> you're in good company here. One thing that I, I would love to dive into your expertise on, given your, your role at Facebook, is really around research and measurement, as we've been talking a little bit about. And so I'd love to talk a little bit more deeply about qualitative and quantitative research that your team and, and you do at Facebook and how you really leverage that. So maybe as a starting point, can you just share a little bit about how you think about measurement and research at Facebook? Yeah, yeah so I'll start with like measurement as the team, the team measurement and kind of what we do at Facebook. So by the way, I will say that is also one of the, the key starting points for any of your thinking about research. Like, what are we trying to do? What's our mission? Um, always right to start. But so measurement at Facebook is really all about how well does the marketing that our clients do on Facebook, occasionally off Facebook, mostly on Facebook, how well does it work? And by understanding what works, we're really about trying to help businesses make good decisions as to what should they do next with their marketing or with their products. So we're all about how well performance and how well are things working. And we're all about helping people make good decisions. That is functionally what we think of when we're talking about marketing uh, or sorry about measurement at Facebook. Now, as we think about what are we thinking about then with like research and I will say this Facebook, I think probably like a lot of other companies. And so uh, I not only work in a, a department that is data-driven, but like Facebook itself is incredibly data and experiment-driven. So that also probably influences how we think about research. But really, I'll start with qualitative. So as you kind of mentioned, like how do we think about qualitative interview and we are qualitative research. And we're huge about talking to customers. So I would say just about every major product launch that Facebook does, getting customer feedback at the beginning, middle, and end of the process is something we are always trying to do. So whether it's like setting up a business case, we are trying to figure out what are the needs of our customers that we don't understand well enough and what we should go build. One of the first things we'll go do is we'll often do an immersion. And we will have one-on-one -on -one time with five to 20 of our customers, and we'll just talk to them. And we will always have a goal in mind. We, we can get into some of the more process stuff if it's fun, but we obviously start with some problems that we're trying to solve in the real world applications for the research. But then we go out and we talk to, we find some customers who are excited and in the market that are doing some of the things that using some of the products that we're thinking about or have some of the characters we want, and we go talk to them and we go uh, try to understand what they need. That is incredible, Alex. Thank you so much. I, I talk a lot about research myself individually and, and on this podcast because I think so many product marketing teams really need to start with research, whether the end goal or, or the end objective is messaging or positioning or new campaign, whatever the end goal is, right? Like it, it fundamentally has to start with being informed about how the market or, or your customer or buyer, whatever the case may be. So I love to hear that. And it sounds like you really have a, a robust function at Facebook to, that kind of does that. Facebook is so data-driven. Do you run into times where often you have 
too much data, so to speak, and paralysis by analysis, so to speak, a bit? Or do you find that you're always collecting data for the right intent and able to move quickly? So can there be too much data? I think the answer is yes, <laughs> especially maybe it's like there are too many interpretations of the data that often is some of the challenges we have. But maybe I'll start with, yeah, so how, how do we get around the problem of like analysis paralysis or just too much data, conflicting information and telling you where you want to go? And so one of the, the critical things I think about whenever we talk to my team a lot about, I hate doing data or research for research sake. And it's not to say I'm incredibly curious and I love to just know things about the world, but I mean, there's a time and place for that. But I'll be honest, I, I probably try to like limit that. And what I mean by it is we always look to start with a problem or a thing that we're trying to do. And so in close, we work really closely with our product engineering and design teams here at Facebook. And we were on the product marketing side. I know there's a lot of different formulations for a product marketing team. My team is, while technically we don't report through, we don't have this exact same reporting structure, but we are on the product teams. So we are aligned to product management. We basically are, we try to be as close to one-to-one -one as possible with product managers and tech leads or engineering managers. And so what that means is we, we try to start with like, what is a problem we have to solve with regard to our product space? Sometimes that's really foundational. It's like, hey, we don't know what do customers need? Maybe we're trying to build an entirely new shopping product, which, you know, Facebook has done recently. And you might go like, what does measurement look like for, how can we help our customers better understand how their shopping is working on Facebook, how the marketing they do associated with it works. We might have to go foundationally, what does that look like? What does a V1 need to be? And then we line up questions behind that. But again, it can be more specific. It can be more about a feature, like a good example, but there could be like specific feature needs. Do clients need this type of testing or that AB testing or that type? Do they need this metric or that? But really what we do is once you have a good endpoint, I find that you can start to ask the questions that will allow you to get the information that then drive you to that decision. So I like to think of it as a pretty, like, this is a logical process of you start at the end and you go C to B, B back to A, and here's the problem, here's the data, and here's the questions that are going to get me there. And that's the way I like to think about it. And I think that usually gets us into a more focused conversation and gets us into a place where we end up with just like filling in the cells of the information we need. And then you're like, boom, okay, yeah, it works or it doesn't. This is what they need or this is what they don't. So those are some of the ways I try to solve that problem. That's some of my consulting time. I feel like it's very consultancy way to think about this, but that's the idea. <laughs> Yeah, but I love that framework because it really places an emphasis on not only, I would say, empathy for what customers or users or broader market even are going through, but it validates the approach too. You're not leading with, hey, we're building this shopping thing, so let's find specifically a user for it, right? You're starting with empathy in that case. So I really love that approach. And to, to maybe like carry that a little bit a step further, when you gather some of this data, how are you using 
that within your group to influence other activities that are happening at Facebook, whether it's the roadmap or marketing strategy or campaigns or product launches or virtually anything else happening, happening at Facebook. Yeah. So influence is kind of, uh, it's always a bit of a funny dynamic because I feel like you often see the, we always talk about the outcomes of influence, which are okay. The product got prioritized on the, the launch list, or we got the team to launch this campaign or that campaign. However, I really think about influence as this always on process. And so whenever you're trying to, because I feel like so very clear, like all of the avenues you just talked about, like we are using research and information to try to go, go change them. We are absolutely, we, in terms of influencing the, or changing the product roadmap or deciding what we're going to go build, like 100% the product marketing team is thinking about, okay, what research will help us make that decision about what to go build? Similarly, when we're thinking about a campaign or like, you know, how do we drive adoption for a set of, or something we go, we went, we want to go launch or ship, same thing. We're trying to go, what's going to work? And that's always our starting question. What's going to work? And then let's, let's figure out if we need more information, if we don't know, then let's go fill in the dots, right? Or fill in the, the blanks. So one, we're doing it for all those processes you just talked about. Now, whenever we think about like how we actually go make it happen, there's, I guess, a couple things I like to keep in mind. So one is it's always on. You can't disappear for in three months, go do some research, come back, show up with a beautiful report and expect that your product and Inge team is going to go, that was magical. Like, let me go build that feature that you just told us about, or let's go solve that need. Like your report would have to be so good. And I've never seen it. Um, like you know, maybe, maybe other people, you know, better product marketers than I can pull that off, but I've never been able to pull it off. So whenever I think about influence, one is it like starts with having a great relationship with whoever you are trying to work with, whether that's your product manager, your tech lead, your designer. If you have more outbound marketing type people, like your PR teams and your advertising teams, like all of the above. Then I, I want to link it back to the way I try to make sure we have influences. I guess there's two pieces. One, you've got to have a common problem you're trying to solve. And then once you align on that, you go, here's how research is going to help us. Here's the decision I'd like to help us go make, right? I'd like to tell us whether we should launch this feature or that, or I would like to help us understand whether we should go after this set of customers or that set of customers. You know, at Facebook, we care a lot about privacy. And so as you can imagine, we think a lot about, well, what are the needs from our customers from a privacy standpoint? We might tell our team like, these are the type of customers we're going to help us go. These are the type of customers that have these privacy concerns and these needs. That's what we're going to tell us. And we're going to help us inform whether we, maybe what we're going to go build or which type of product we're going to launch first. So from there, I just think it, it is bringing people along the process. Like don't disappear. Here's the problem we're trying to solve. Here's the decision we're going to try to make. It's giving people some input. Don't overwhelm people because engineers are... I usually always don't want to read all of your discussion guides, but I try to keep things open. And it's like, here are the docs. If you want to take a look at the discussion guides, please do. Invite people to customer interview or customer you know, discussions. And whenever I think, A, you're solving this, you've got a good relationship. 
you people are clear on the problem you're trying to solve and the value of solving that problem. And then you bring and you help them be a part of that process. Usually it's like, it's it, it, you, if you get to the end and you go, oh, I answered the problem. We agreed it was something important. And here's the way we should go. It usually is like a no brainer of let's go do it. If that didn't happen, like something broke in that chain and you've got to think about what that was and how to go solve it. Love that process and, and that framework. I totally agree with you that influence is, is always on. I think there, there's, of course, the common saying, and, and I've said it a number of times myself, that as product marketers, we have a lot of influence and very little authority, right? That's just a really common saying in across product marketing. But I think all too many people will interpret that to mean, or maybe think about that in kind of a one-way street manner. But I don't think influence is, is one way. Influence going one way is, is more command and control. Influence really is two ways. It's a conversation. It's more about alignment and driving common goals versus command and control. And, and I think all too often we maybe forget a, a little bit about that. And so I love the way you phrased it because it's important to also over-communicate in that process to ensure clarity and understanding to ensure that that alignment ultimately works in the right way. I love that. That's so right. And the alignment point you make is so important because I, I feel if you've always got to think about it, like, cause I think there's always the counter, which is, okay, if I couldn't get someone to, cause I, I hear things like my product team doesn't listen to customer research or something. Like they don't know what the customer needs and they go build the wrong thing. I think you've really got to think about un, unless if they are operating on just like a completely, they don't want the company to succeed level. They've got a framing here that what they're doing makes sense. And you've got to be aligned as to either the problem you're trying to solve, why that's valuable. The data, is it good? These are the things you've got to think about, I think, with regard to influence, because it's not like, I don't know, I've just never met someone where I'm like, oh, that product person just wants, like, isn't into it. They just want to go build, you know, like, they usually have, maybe they believe their data is better and you've got to think about that and why. But anyways, I love that alignment point. I'm completely with you. It's not command and control. It's like, we're all on the same page here to solve the same problem. Exactly. And you may be approaching it from different angles or perspectives or, or sides. And, and, and that's okay. That's a good thing. Different perspectives and different opinions are ultimately, generally speaking, make for better outcomes. So uh, so I totally agree with you and love that. One other question I wanted to ask based off what you were saying there is, it sounds like, and I'm kind of reading between the lines here, so feel free to correct me, but it sounds like your team gets a ton of requests based off like, hey, we want to build this feature or we're thinking about this. Or maybe we're thinking about this campaign and I imagine all of that type of stuff is coming to your team or maybe you directly even. And so I can only imagine how many requests you get on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And I imagine those requests, all, all of those requests can't be fulfilled. So how do you think about prioritizing some of those things? Yeah, good prioritization is the secret to it all, I feel like, right? Like, <laughs> it's the secret to life. So I can't promise that I've got the holy grail here. But one, I will be very clear, prioritization, as I just mentioned, is really hard. But I do think it is maybe one of the most important things that you can do as a individual or as a team. So when I think about prioritization, it's, again, I always like to start with what are we trying to do? What are the big problems that we have to solve? And the mission of our organization, as an example, or the mission of your given product. So I'll give you some examples from the measurement team. We are, you know, as I mentioned, very focused on privacy. 
I don't think that's I, probably not a secret to Facebook. We are, this is something that we are working on and it is so important to the future of social media. So we have, that is absolutely a priority for my team. We're also focused on, we've got a few main things like simplicity, like how do we make this stuff easier? Actionability, how do we make it? So talk about decision-making, just like I, I, I try to limit research for research is sake. Like at Facebook, we don't want to provide you data for data's sake. We want to give you information that will help you go do something. And by the way, that thing could be influencing your boss or influencing the CFO to get you to like, that is a totally reasonable need, but I want to make sure there's a reason for what we're giving you. So again, you start with, these are big missions that my team has. Now, from there, it's not to say everything needs to ladder into those. I don't know if you need to be so like, you're familiar with like Google and other companies objectives and key results and kind of mapping those together. I don't know if probably an ideal world, all those things ladder up. So the, the first part is like, are we doing things that are going to push the mission forward now and get us to the future state that we want this simple, private, actionable measurement system. Now, the second part then is how do we figure out what's going to get us there and what will be most impactful? Now, this is probably where some of the art comes in. Sometimes, you know, uh, by the way, I will say one of the research questions is like, is this or that more impactful to our future? And that is a lot of what the research we're trying to, to have does. And in that case, maybe to, to start, we need to just think about, well, is this about a really big feature? Is it about a product? Like Facebook has a Lyft product where we measure with randomized controlled trial, trying to figure out how well your marketing works, huge product used by so many people, millions of customers. And so that probably gets priority over something else that's smaller as an example, or like our ads manager interface, where we've got all of our metrics, like it's priority over a lot of smaller products. So I think part of it is then like, what is the size of the product that you're with the market of your current product? Do we think, is it going to be bigger in the future? At a high level, how much do we believe making this decision will improve that product? Figure getting this feature right, is it really important? So those are some of the kind of structural things we do to make sure that we can prioritize well. And last two thoughts on this are one big and important. I know that sounds like so easy to say, but hard to do. But over index, I think on those big and important problems and try really hard not to fill your time with what you think are probably small, like smaller things, because they will just take up an order amount of time. So we've tried really hard at Facebook and on my team to go, we're only going to focus maybe on these products. We're only going to focus on these problem spaces for this half or this quarter. And we're going to ignore a lot of this smaller stuff because it's just going to bog us down. So like really focus on where you are going to have big, deep impact and probably take on less than you think. <laughs> Overly optimistic planning, a planning fallacy is like, it happens to all of us. And we will say, oh, I can do these five things. And you end up and you're like, oh shoot, no, I can't. And that sucks whenever it's November and you realize things you're like in pain, you can't take vacation. For sure. <laughs> so those are, again, some of the things I'll say. And the last thing, the other thing I was going to mention is Think a lot about whether and how hard it is to reverse decisions. 
this is an Amazonism, which was something I think about a fair bit, which is like, if you can make a decision and easily reversible, like the copy on your help center, or your website, like, don't spend too much time on it. Because if it's wrong, it's actually not much. It's not, you don't lose very much. So that's definitely something like the ability, how much effort it would take to reverse the decision is something you should think about as you're trying to prioritize like where you invest. Love all those thoughts. And it, it, prioritization is just so critically important. And I love the way you approach it. And hopefully everyone listening to this really just takes away that it's about that North star to a large extent, right? And, and not taking on too much, as you said. And, and as long as you have that solid North star and, and alignment across the business and you're tackling those larger problems, you'll likely wind up in, in a really good place at the end of the day. So that's a really good perspective. One more question about research real quick, which is, a lot of product marketers, or maybe I should say a lot of businesses look to product marketing to help segment their audience, right? Define personas, define who our ICPs are, become experts in the market. And so I'm curious how you think about the audience at Facebook, how you then use that information to inform your content, your programs, your campaigns, your launches, et cetera. Oh, segmentations. I think this could be a whole <laughs> podcast on its own. You know, put, put that for season four. So- we'll have you back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with segmentations. And let me explain. So whenever we think of the ultimate goal of, of segmentations, it can help you prioritize who are the customers you need to go after, like which market is bigger, who should you build features for, all of those type of things. Also, as you bring more data onto those segmentations, can we describe these people better and in a way that we can build off and actually create products for those people? So there's a lot of value in it. Now, I, I find, especially at a company like Facebook, you can just find yourself in segmentation. Talk about data analysis paralysis earlier. You can just show up with a hundred segmentations to a problem and that becomes pretty onerous. So oftentimes we start with a really simple segmentation because I try to make it actionable. I think the first part is like, how do we get actionable information? And often if you're working across you know, especially if you need to influence multiple teams, different product sets, which again, measurement is a part of, I didn't mention this earlier, or maybe I alluded to it, is a part of a large ads team at Facebook. And it is further in an even larger ecosystem of products, right, that we have to deal with. And so if any segmentation has to somehow help us usually talk internally and also talk with each other teams at Facebook, which is why we often start with something like, how big a client are they? What's the size of the client? What is the industry the client is? Is it a gaming client? Is it automotive? Is it CPG? What region are they in? So are we talking about North America or the problem we're having is about North America or Europe or very different issues often in, that we have to deal with in Asia. And so those, in my experience, those actually start to get you pretty close. There's a lot of commonalities that you can just by saying like, is it a big client? in the automotive space in North America, like Ford, Chevy, GM, even Tesla, like similar problems that we have to solve for them. So that's one space. But then I will say we oftentimes, like whenever we're doing, so I, I will say found a lot of foundational analysis, especially stuff that has to be done or has to influence multiple teams at Facebook, like simple, I find is better just because everyone understands it. They get it like that. It's not, it becomes useful because of its simplicity and the information you can attach to it. 
Beyond that though, yeah, certainly sometimes we will make our own segmentation or we will go deeper. And that will either be in the case of like, sometimes we think personas and personas usually down to the person level. Like who is the social media analyst at a small company? And like walking through their day and their journey, the problems they have, how they use our products. I find that becomes far more descriptive. And so especially thinking like product development, some of those things, like it becomes helpful in that way. Much harder to scale across the organization, but very effective in your specific problem, your specific problem. We've developed, for example, segmentations around, you know, not to harp on privacy, but back to privacy. Like we absolutely build segmentations. We build a specific segmentation for these people have these kind of problems with regard to, with, or these challenges with regard to privacy. Some companies aren't as worried about privacy and these are like who they are and what they need. Shopping being a huge one too, like who are the people that are engaged in a shopping process and building those out. So I find that we, we do make unique segmentation for really specific problems, but I think what you should know and when to invest, or at least you're thinking about investing in those kinds of segmentations, probably in my experience, you will use it to solve your problem and then it's going to get shelved and you're never going to look at it again. So think about that and how much you want to build it. Whereas big segmentations like revenue industry region, or that is pretty resilient and it's something you'll be able to use for a long time. So think about that as you're trying to explore like what segmentations you should actually go use. Love that. And there's a lot of wisdom in, in that answer because it's so easy to head down the path of, oh, that's really cool data. We should use that to really segment our audience in some way, in some fashion, right? But then to your point, it does wind up getting shelved. And that resilient data, whether it is revenue or whatever the case may be for all of our distinct businesses, for everyone listening here, I, I think there are some probably core metrics that we can all use and, and really look at to do segmentation in a fairly scalable way. So I, so I love that approach. Alex, as we think about wrapping up here, we'd love to just ask one final question, which I'm asking everyone this season, because I think we can all really learn from this in a really distinct way, which is what's one thing maybe a manager or a colleague or possibly a mentor has taught you that's really served you well in your career? And, and we'd love to just hear a little bit about that. So you, you put this in the prep and you made, me, you made me think about this before I came on. So we'll see if it pleases the the crowd or the audience like, i may have a couple but we'll see some of them are connected some, some of them are but i'll be as focused as i can be so with that preamble i think there's kind of like really kind of two things i'd like to say one is and i don't actually know who i could attribute this to so i apologize if someone has said this to me or if it came from a book or whatnot but one part is about trusting the process and so maybe this comes from the 76ers and they're <laughs> from the sports team but what I mean by that is, and I think this goes counter to sometimes how we think about our performance. And what I mean by that is like outcomes are pretty darn variable. Whether something works or not is often uh, a function of luck or a function of things you never could control. Whether a feature works, best data in the world, it might not be 100% that your feature is going to work. But if you've got a really good process for how you're going to think about identifying the needs of your customers, how you're going to operate, that is so important and optimizing that process. Honestly, if your process is good, 
you may fail once and then, but on balance, once you do it multiple times, you should trust it and you will ultimately come out ahead. So that's one of the key things I, I, I think about a lot. And that gets me out of like a myopic focus on like, oh my gosh, everything must work always. But if I'm doing the right things, then that's what I care about more. Now, these ones I actually, now this last one flip side, I can actually attribute to a couple of people. So I'll, I'll go there. But very early in my career, actually at Nielsen, there was a, a person who, one of my prior managers, his name's Vijoy. He told me basically like, take on big, hard projects and look for those things. If you can look for those big, tough problems to go solve. And at that time, it was all about like, gosh, that feels so silly. Although feels so long ago now, but it was all about like Walmart and sharing data. That's not that important, but take it to say it was a big, hard thing. And I wasn't sure I was trying to figure out what I should go work on. And he was like, you know, you should raise your hand, go run at this because you will learn a lot. You will stretch yourself. You will grow from taking on these big, tough things. And so I, I've thought about that a fair bit, even at Facebook, if you see something big and hard, there's a good chance you should run toward it and try to go tackle that. The payoff is usually pretty darn great. Now I do want to have, because I've gotten some new advice, which I want to just temper that with, because I think it actually is, is so important, especially that I've been thinking about a lot, which is, this comes from a director here at Facebook, Michelle, who is awesome. And she told me something, which is seek joy. And there's times to seek joy. I want to temper the idea of always like go take on big projects because I have certainly been at moments where I've been burnt out. And I've, I've read enough stuff recently to know that there are other people in that same place right now. And so there's an important part of things is to think about your career as well, which is like, what is going to make me happy? And really putting that, what's going to be fun and putting that into your equation. So I, I want to temper, take on big, hard projects, but absolutely seek joy and like figure out things that are going to make you happy because that, um, if you're not, in my opinion, it, it, it's a little off or not. So those are my pieces of advice. Trust the process, take on some big projects, but seek joy in the end. That's incredible advice, Alex. And thank you so much for sharing those. Anybody listening can take away some really, really impactful nuggets from what you just mentioned. I, I know the folks listening can't necessarily see you and I here, but I have been nodding here in the background to everything you just mentioned. So I really appreciate you sharing that, that wisdom and advice with us all. And really appreciate you taking the time to be on the Product Marketing Experts podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you and I'm just really grateful for, for your perspective and wisdom, as I mentioned. Any final words you want to share with the audience before we wrap up? Justin, this was a ton of fun. Jeffrey, thank you so much. No, it really was. This is, this is a blast. So I'm really grateful that you, you allowed me to be a part of this. So thank you is all that I have to end with. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex. Have a great rest of your day. And thanks again for being on. All right. See you later. Stay in the know about your competitive landscape with Clue. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards, delivered everywhere your sales reps live, through integrations with Salesforce, Slack, Highspot, and many more. With Clue, you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again. Crush your competition with Clue.